We are, we're so honoured to be here, and it really, I mean, we, we travel a stack. Um, we, we were away from Australia about 260 nights last year, and, uh, and so when we, when we have a home away from home, honestly for us, it, it's a prize, and I want to thank you um, for embracing our family. Um, we love you. We, we are in your corner. We believe in you. Um, we're excited about what God has done over the last, I don't know, 30 years. Um, and we've, we've known Pastor Philip and Holly all that time. Um, and I've got to say, though, we are even more excited about what God has got in, imminently in this very next season. Um, I, was, I was walking across at the traffic lights uh, just earlier on this morning. And as I looked up and, and saw just this magnificent building, we understand church ain't a building. We are the church. It's not about coming to church. We're becoming the church. I get that. But your pastors, Philip and Holly, fought fights and battles in order to get this far that most people don't even understand. Um, and I'm really, really excited about what God has got. Uh, we, we just love uh, Julian and Christina. We feel very, very blessed that God has uh, brought them into our lives. And, uh, and we just feel very, very connected um, to what God has got in this next season. What I, I love, I love the, about God that he's a generational God and that he sees the end from the beginning. He's already at the fulfillment of your destiny. Um, he looks beyond the now and through to kids and grandkids. He's a, he, he, he even calls himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Um, I love to show photos of our three grandkids. Um, there's Freddie in the middle, Frederick Montague on the right as you look at it. And, uh, and then Aubrey is about to eat something big uh, on the left. And uh, it, it just reminds me that, that there's more than just so often what occupies my thinking. God has, God has got an eagle eye perspective on the whole thing. Um, and he thinks generationally. Um, uh, we, we were all together, four generations of us recently. And here's a photo of our, of our family, four generations. That's my dad in the striped shirt. He's 90, going on 25. And my mum on the right is 85. And uh, th actually, that's not really a good representation of our family. We're a bit crazy, that is. That's a better one. But the truth is, we've all got craziness in our family. Like there's always, always a, uh, you know, always someone that's a sandwich short of a picnic in the family. <laughs> always someone that is just kind of not there. In fact, if you could go back, it's kind of trendy. It's, it's cool right now to do your DNA and your, your, your family tree and all that sort of stuff. Uh, some of us are scared to do a family tree. We don't know what nuts we're going to kind of uh, uncover on the end of the branches. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, God, but God, God sees it all. God sees it all. Um, the title of my message, if you need one, is A Brothel, A Bath, and a Boy Called Obed. <laughs> a Brothel, 
a bath, and a boy called Obed. Come with me to Matthew chapter 1. All will be revealed. We'll go to the nice bit first. Uh, in fact, I thought, what could I do to start off in a really compel- compelling fashion? I thought one of the things I could do is talking about generations. I could just go through the Bible and read every one of the genealogies. I thought that would be a great way to start uh, the 1 p.m. service. Not going to do that. So, but I will read a little bit. In, in Matthew chapter 1, we see from Abraham to Jesus his lineage, the genealogy. Um, The nice bit, the good bit is in verse 16. It says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Joseph was a good dude. He was a good guy. That's That's a good bit of the genealogy. He was a good man. I mean, he had a, he had a lot. Like, he doesn't get a whole lot of mention or, frankly, a whole lot of credit. But when, you're, when your fiancé comes to you and says she's pregnant and you know it ain't you and she says God did it, uh, you've you got to be a big guy to even embrace that. It was a tough gig for Joseph. He's a good guy. Mary, beautiful, white as a driven snow. God chooses her to be the carrier of the Savior of the world. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And Jesus, he's just, he's just a great guy. That's the good bit. But if we hop back up a little further, come with me on the, on the, on the theatrics here for a minute. My, our daughter's a film producer, and I don't know a whole lot about making films, but I know that at some stage along the development process, you need a casting director. Come with me on the notion of this. Let's say there's a casting committee in heaven, and, and we're, we're kind of selecting the candidates for the lineage of Jesus. Now imagine, imagine this, in heaven there and Gabriel's kind of, you know, uh, kind of looking after things and, 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 and they read, read this part in advance of what's going to be in the book of Matthew. Um, it says in verse 5, Salmon or Tuna or Snapper or whatever, the, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, a boy named Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been another dude's wife. Imagine how they would approach this with God. They're trying to protect the reputation of the Son of Man. Uh, kinda, they, they, they got, God can select whom he wants in the lineage. He's God. And so we talk about Rahab, God, that, that they put a shining light over that says, God, God, I know you're God, you, you're all knowing, you know all that. Did you, did you happen to see on the application process what her job was? Like, like she's a lady of the night, she, she's a prostitute, that's what she does. Now, everyone's got to start somewhere, God, but you could choose, look, Sally, who lives around the corner, she's, a, she's an executive assistant, goes to the temple all the time, really lovely girl. Why don't you throw her in there? And, you know, you can work, do a work on Rahab, but why put her in the lineage of your son? Come on, God. Can we talk about Solomon? And the not-so-subtle little reference there, the fact that uh, kind of there's a story behind the story, and the fact that Solomon just didn't happen, uh, he was born as a result of King David. Well, you know the story. He, King David should have been out to war. He was on the roof of his house, the flat roof of his house. He looked over and noticed a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who was baptizing herself out, all out in the open. And he saw her, called for her. You know, it didn't end well, God. 
like adultery, murder, you know, Rebecca, Rebecca, two blocks down, two blocks down, a a budding actress, uh, works at a cafe right now, but she has got big plans and big dreams, and she's a sweet thing. Why don't you put her in instead? Just humbly, respectfully. What do you think God was thinking? Accident? Oops. Oops. Rahab, Sally, Solomon, Bob, whose mum was Rebecca, all good. We're married for years before that. God knows exactly what he is doing. He placed not only those two with sketchy stories and sketchy backgrounds just for you and I. In the midst of that, knowing exactly what he's doing, he places a prostitute in the lineage of his son. He places someone who was the product of an adulterous relationship wherein there was murder to make the statement to you and I these 2,000 plus years later, your past need never dictate to your generational future. There's not a person in this place that hasn't messed up. There's not a person in this place that hasn't got a shame file. There's not a person in this place that hasn't got the ghost of the old man or old woman rattling somewhere in the closet. Oh, don't look at me so holy. If you don't have anything in your past, could you just jump up, fly around the room, we'll give you a standing ovation. We all need to know that. That the mess ups, the stuff, the issues that you have had and have do not need to influence the generational future that you've got. You see, God's all about in the midst, we're going on about our own business, kind of prophetic pivots, not pathetic, prophetic pivots. Pivots. In other words, you're going one way and he, he orders circumstances, puts a fresh rough, rush of the breath of God and there's a turn. There's a shift that happens. And I, I have come today with faith brimming over in my heart that there are numbers, scores of people in this place and you are on the edge of the greatest prophetic pivot in your life. Because that's just like God. Pastor Julian, there's something in the air. There's something in the atmosphere. There is a move that's happening. And he's not going to leave you out. I said he's not going to leave you out up in the balcony. Come with me to Ruth, the book of Ruth. I think the verses will be up on the screen if they can keep up with me. My notes are always just suggestions. I'm much more concerned with ministering what God puts in my heart than what I've, what I've got on paper. There's something happening. Seriously, something happening. There's some shifts. At the end of the service, you know, some of you know our story. But Valerie and I, we're both first-generation Christians. Both got pretty sketchy pasts, especially me. You should have seen her face. (laughs) My, I, 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 
I was sexually abused by a man at 14. Some of you know that story. And I only say it, just if you're new here, you think, oh, you know, big preacher man, come and tell me what. Honestly, I'm, I'm lucky to be alive, let alone having the privilege of preaching the word to you today. Seriously. It's not so long ago, I was rolling out of bars, absolutely blind drunk, 3, 4 a.m., several nights a week. That was months ago now, and I'm feeling a lot, lot better. <laughs> God's grace is amazing. And so one of the things I love to do most, honestly, I love praying for people who are at that moment of spiritual prophetic pivot. And either you might have been brought by a friend and you've, it's been a long time since you've been even in church or really kind of earnestly lent in to the reality that there's a God who loves you to distraction. Or maybe you've been just bumping along the bottom spiritually. The end of the service, in about two and a half hours, I'm going to pray for you. And, and we're going to do some business with God. And I, I firmly believe that as you would just open your heart, just let the walls come down, just take the mask off, just for a split moment in time, that heaven can come in like a shaft of light and change everything for you. Almost can't wait to get there. But let's talk about Ruth. So the story goes, let me tell you a bit, and then we'll pull out a few verses, because I think there's, there's so much richness in this story. The story goes like this. There was a, a lady by the name of Naomi, married a, guy, a dude by the name of Elimelech. And they were living in Bethlehem, uh, Judah, and uh, there was starvation in the land. They had two sons, Kilion and Malon, and, and so they rocked down to a place called Moab, which was basically enemy territory. They weren't Jews. They didn't believe in the God of Abraham, and, uh, and so that's where they landed. There was good, a good food supply there, and, and they were there. The two boys, they met two beautiful Moabites, and they married. And those two women were Ruth and Orpah. And so they all live happily ever after until dad, he actually dies. He carks it. He falls off the perch. And so she's left with the two sons and their wives. Ten years later, the two sons die. So the three women are destitute, living alone in a foreign land, for her anyway, for Naomi anyway. She has an idea. She hears that God has, has actually blessed the grain back up in Judah. So she says, I'm rocking up there, girls. Come if you like. They start to follow her. and She get, has another thought. She says, no. She says, I want you to stay back in Moabite territory. Go back to your own mum and dad. Marry a good Moabite boy, and that's going to be better for you. She, she said, doesn't say it once. She says it four times. Finally, Orpah one of the girls kisses her mother-in-law and says, Mom, I'm splitting. I'm going back home like you suggest. But Ruth has this epiphany, this prophetic pivot moment. And here's what she says. Some of you might even recognize this. It's a really powerful verse. Uh, I've told you to go there and I'm not even there myself. And here's what it says. It says, then Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, I want to die there, and there I'm going to be buried. There was a prophetic 
pivot moment right there. She could have taken the natural route. She could have followed the sentimental route. But instead, she responded to her heart that predominantly is for God and Naomi and says, I'm going with you. I'm sticking with you. God's heart here actually actually starts a, a journey. And here's, here's, my, here's my kind of declaration over you. For those of you that would be prepared to say, regardless of my past, regardless the amount of times I've had a go at doing this, because I understand for many people it takes many times. It's like, ah, oh, I know God is the right way. I know He's urging me. And then, and then you go good for a little while and then boom, your legs get taken out from under you. I actually believe on the other side of this prophetic pivot, there's gonna be a whole lifetime of blessing and promise and prosperity. It's gonna be an amazing, amazing thing that's gonna happen to you. So the women are there, and uh, it's, it's just Naomi and Ruth, and they're starving. And so Ruth says, look, I'm gonna go and beg. And so the, the contemporary back then form of begging was that she would, she would, Go to a field that is being harvested because it's harvest season. It just happened to land in harvest season. And on the edges of the field, they, would not, they wouldn't harvest that. They'd leave it for the poor. So it was basically your version of someone sitting in the street with a cardboard sign saying, can you give me something? And so she, she, she picked up the stuff and, and would take it home to her mum. And when she went into the field, it just happened to be, listen to this, these little prophetic pivots that were beyond her control, just happened to be, in the field of a dude by the name of Boaz. Boaz just happened to be a close relative. Back in the day, if you had a close relative and someone was a widow, you could actually marry that person and redeem all of their inheritance. Just happened to be that. When she was there in the field of a dude named Boaz, who just happened to be a close relative, he just happened to be cruising onto the field at that point in time. He just happened to see her. He just happened to like her. He just happened to show favor to her. She goes home and Naomi says, where'd you go? She said, I went to a guy's field called Boaz. And Naomi knew what was going on. She said, that's one of your redeemers. Now, interesting thing about Boaz, sidebar, he was born in a place called Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Whenever you see stuff like that, you think, what the heck? What's going on? Yeah, that's right. He's a type of Jesus. He, 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 was, he was the redeemer for Ruth, just like Jesus is our Redeemer. We were beggars in a way. We could not feed ourselves. We were in a foreign land. It felt weird. And he was able to redeem us. So think about Ruth for a moment. She's gleaning. She's gleaning. She thinks her lot maybe in life is to glean for the rest of her days, is to basically be a beggar. She's probably not looking beyond lunchtime. And so often in our heads and our hearts, when you have hardship, when you're wondering, even right now, I'm, I'm aware that I'm speaking right into someone's soul. You're having hardship and you can handle one fire, but there's, there's, there's fires on numbers of fronts. And you're thinking, where is God? God loves diving into the toughest situation where there's no hope. Yeah, I love this story. I love this story. So she goes home and a whole lot of series of situations happen and Naomi hatches a plan. 
She says, here's what you need to do. When he has food tonight and something to drink, he's laying down on the threshing floor. I want you to go creep in, lie down the end of his feet and uncover his feet. I don't know whether it's a euphemism or something like that that we can't talk about Sunday afternoon, but anyway, she did that. It was akin to a, a, a marriage proposal. He wakes up, who's this? It's Ruth. They get married, cut a long story short, and they have a little bambino by the name, a little boy named Obed. Imagine if, imagine the faith step for her. She's a beggar. She's gleaning. Naomi says, go and lie at the feet of the owner. I could never do that. I'm just, I'm Ruth the beggar. Something had to happen in her spirit. Beyond the hustle, she had to take, beyond the hustle, she had to take on the favour of who she actually was. The one who was a beggar became the owner of the whole flippin' field. God wants you to stop thinking like a beggar. Stop thinking like a hustler. Stop thinking like, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And start to carry yourself as the son and the daughter of the most high God, because that's who he calls you. So the story goes on. She finds rest in that. She finds just feel, just a, just a pause for a minute. Just, just God dropped a, a little word out of this from my heart, and I, I, I know it's gonna, I know it's gonna bless someone here. Boaz was talking to Ruth, and she said, "Why, why, have, why have I found favor? Why, why have I? What the heck? You're the, you're the owner." I'm just a beggar girl from out of town. I don't even know your God very well. I'm just a girl grabbing onto the coat tails of her mother-in-law. And here's what he said. His guys had already said, she, she's prepared to work hard. So, so we're not talking about this happening on a platter without you, no effort. I'm not saying that. But his, he'd heard by reputation the kindness that she had shown to her mother-in-law, or put another way, the loyalty she had shown with the opportunity in her hand right now. Loyalty to God, loyalty to your community will go before you that opens door, to open doors that no man can shut. So three things, her loyalty to God and her loyalty to to her mother-in-law and her loyalty to actually do what had to be done. And that opened Boaz's eyes. She, he, that didn't redeem her, that just caught his attention. Here's someone that's earnestly leaning in. Are you someone that's earnestly leaning in to the purposes of God? She finally found rest in her soul. You know, when Adam, in, the, in that genealogy, it actually starts with Abraham. It's kind of, you know, several generations on from Adam. Uh, there's another one in, in, in Luke that starts with 
Adam and, uh, and goes right through to Abraham and so forth. So, so Adam's in the picture. God created Adam. I want you to come with me here because this is actually very, very material. God uses six days to create the whole lot. Heaven and earth, night and day, land and sea, peppered it with incredible trees. Imagine the size of the mangoes. Imagine, imagine you could smell watermelon mixed with mango and pineapple and all top shelf right out of the celestial heart. So Adam, Adam is created. God breathes in him the breath of light. Day six. Adam wakes up. Boom. Oh my goodness. Oh M G. That's my daughter. If he was an Aussie, he'd say, Crikey, God, this is awesome, man. He was overwhelmed. Like, what's he gonna do first? Is he gonna gorge his face with mangoes and pineapples? Like, or is he gonna is he gonna climb a giraffe giraffe neck? Is he gonna play with an elephant trunk? Is he gonna wrestle with a leopard? What? I mean, there's so much to do. It's like, wow! God, my first day on earth, day seven, what do you want me to do? God says, nothing. Day seven, God rested, and so do you too. Adam's first day on the planet, God directed him to do nothing. He became a hard worker. He na- think about the intellectual prowess to name all the animals. That was his job, to, to, to cultivate the field, to all that. He did all that. He worked hard in the end. But day one, his job was to rest. We, we've, had a, we've had a kind of busy kind of world. People say whirlwind season of the last six years. People say, how do you do it? Like jet lag and all that sort of stuff. God only knows. We love, we feel so blessed to be able to do what we're called to do. October last year, if, if I'm honest, I think I was pretty tired. Not worn out, but just like weary in the soul. And I felt like the Holy Spirit really challenged me. He spoke to me. When I say that, he didn't say, Michael. Like I, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but it was so, so clear on the inside. I felt him say, Michael, you don't worship me anymore. And if you know me, as you probably gathered, I've only got two volumes, loud and off. Regularly, people hear me before they see me. I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got a, a laugh at times that rates on the Richter scale. And, and, and I said, God, on Sunday, like in church, I worship loud. My hands were up. I, like, I was on tippy toes. And I'm, 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 I'm worshiping loud, God. You should have been there. It was really good. Didn't say that. And he said, no. You don't worship me anymore when there's no one around. I was in the Word, I was praying, but he was right. So I quickly fixed to do something about it. I actually reordered my playlist. Initially it was, I think I shared with this with the staff and some of the guys a little while ago, but just like initially it was a new worship playlist and I stacked some great songs in there, good anthems and so, and then after a while I got, I said, nah, it's got to upgrade. And so I I put a power worship playlist together. (laughs) 
even just this morning, quite honestly, I was down maybe 6.30, down in the restaurant, the lights were off, I tucked myself in a corner, and I intended just to worship for a couple of minutes, probably, and again, this is not normal, normally for me it's, you know, seven, ten minutes of just putting on a couple of songs and just, and just being, just being in the presence of God, what a, but oh man, I just kicked into something this morning. And I just sat there, I hardly even opened my Bible. I was going to go through my notes and stuff, and I thought, no, no, you, God, you need to deal with my heart more than you do my head on this one. I need the Word, not just the words. And honestly, after a very short time, tears were streaming down my face. I, was, I don't know what people thought. Once they started coming into the restaurant, the lights came on. I was just like, in the presence of God. Start with rest. A couple of months later, across my version, which is like a, a digital Bible kind of deal, version feed, came a challenge, the 30-day shred. The 30-day shred was a challenge to read the whole Bible in 30 days. I went, ha, <laughs> I noticed the Holy Spirit wasn't laughing. He was challenging me. So in January, I read the whole Bible. No, 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 I'm, I'm, and I'm not telling you to do this. I'm, I'm just, I'm going somewhere with this. When you open your heart up to, to, to a fresh sense, and you, this might seem a long way away for some of you. You think, worship, I can't even, like, how would you even do, I can't even sing. And no, there's an auto-tune. By the time it hits heaven, it's angelic, all right? No problem whether you can sing or not. It does something on the inside. The Word, whether it's 10 minutes a day or two and a half hours, actually the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're in New York City, Lower East Side, and I normally stay Lower West Side near Little Italy and, and Chinatown, those of you who have been there. Uh, a deal came up, the Indigo Hotel, Lower East Side, we stayed there. Hadn't been there before, foreign neighborhood, we're walking around, homeless people everywhere. I think we might have given a couple of dollars out, and the Holy Spirit challenged me. And he said, he said, I want you to go to Katz, K-A-T-Z, uh, delicatessen, like a famous delicatessen. Get 10 pastrami, like really hunky pastrami sandwiches and give them out to homeless. Freezing cold, freezing cold, like bitter cold. They were so cold, in fact, we couldn't find any homeless people on the next day. They'd even found a place out of the cold to be homeless. And so I finally found someone that looked remotely homeless. Well, I've got these sandwiches, and I offered him a sandwich. He took one. Someone saw him. We thought, well, free food, good, let's go. So I've got, I've, got, I've got eight left. Took about 40 minutes to get rid of the others. Valerie tapped out, and rightly so, and I was just freezing cold. I had two left. And I'm like, God, I felt like a Like sometimes I said, God, am I, am I an idiot? Did I miss here? Did I have too much, you know, New York pizza the night before or something like that? What the heck? I'm feeling stupid, to be quite honest. And, 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 and I finally see this guy, and he's doing these ones in a, in a kind of gated, walled, sort of fenced park. Not, not, he's not working out. He's got a T-shirt on. He's obviously got some degree of mental illness. And I, went, went, I, I, so I came over carefully behind the bars, and I said, hey, buddy. I said, I've got a couple of cat sandwiches backing away here if you'd like them. He kind of prowled over to me. snatched him and he was about to go and he, he stopped he said thank you very much he said I love you ten sandwiches was not for the homeless if it was my stinking hard 
callous heart. That's what it was for. And I don't believe I was standing looking at a homeless man. Honestly, for me, it was the face of Jesus peering straight into my soul. Some of you are trying to work some stuff out. And God's wanting to do a prophetic pivot. Some of you are struggling in the marketplace right now. Your dream is being, it's like your, as James did, walking the boulevard of broken dreams. It's like one thing after another. And the temptation is to hustle. Again, I'm not saying you don't need to work hard. But you don't start out by working hard. You start out by worshipping soft. You start out by getting into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.